And now your host, The Crypt Keeper. Welcome back to the Straight from the Suburbs podcast, Season 3, Episode 3. I am the Crypt Keeper and you are in the Crypt. Today in the Crypt, we have a special guest, Miss Margie. Welcome to Superhero Studios in the Crypt, Margie. Hi, Mo. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice to have you here. It's going to be a fun day today. Now, I have used Margie before as a source of all things creepy in the Ottawa Valley. Margie hails from CARP, which will be the focus of today's episode. Now, Margie, how long have you lived in CARP? I have lived in CARP since I was four years old. So, um... so five years. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so, forty-eight years okay. I've lived in Carp. Okay. Yeah. Now, Carp, it's I would consider it a, a small town. Would you consider it a small town? Absolutely, it's a village. Okay. Now, as a small town, would you say that all the townsfolk are familiar with one another? Um, I think that everybody who's lived there a long time is for sure. Okay. There's generations of of families that know each other for years and years and uh, stay connected. There are is new life coming into carp with with houses booming and that kind of thing yeah. so but still a village okay and so no doubt some of the family names of carp have been there for centuries decades at least absolutely okay centuries okay yeah okay. now it's been labeled as creepy but if you visit carp which i recommend all listeners in the crypt to do you'll see that carp is a great place Disregarding some creepy occurrences, of course. Some high strangeness comes out of CARP. Strange lights in the skies, UFOs, dozens of helicopters of all makes and styles conducting low-riding aerial assaults on the townspeople at all hours of the day and night. And the famous CARP airport, purportedly as being a beacon for otherworldly aircrafts. No wonder CARP is mentioned as the UFO capital of Ontario. We're all familiar with the Guardian case, right? Um, now, the Guardian, the Guardian case, it put CARP and Ottawa on the international UFO map. I did a complete coverage of the Guardian case way back in season one, episode two. We will revisit it today, but I would also invite all my listeners to listen once again to that earlier episode for further in-depth information and details. So, to all my like-minded listeners in the crypt, join me as we venture on a short drive out to CARP, Ontario, with my reliable CARP informant Margie as my co-pilot, who will take to the otherworldly airwaves on my creepy Cessna and land at the mysteriously shaped CARP airport, where we will venture out together and gaze upon the stars and wonder together, what the hell is going on in CARP? <laughs> so, the village of CARP and the township of Huntley, right? lies in the westernmost ward of Ottawa, around 10 kilometers west of Canada. The village sits on the edge of the Carp Escarpment, the Carp Ridge, a geological fault running through the Carp River Valley. Spiritualists and UFO researchers always note that UFOs are attracted to and are frequently seen around geological faults. It could be because of the ease of access to exposed minerals or the energy created within possible quakes and the geological faults where within. What do you think, Margie? 
Well, the faults are really interesting. Okay. There is one that actually that runs behind my parents' house. And oh, no way. when I was young, I used to go out there and, and explore and you'd go down into the faults and it's like a different world. It's more lush. It's um, there was waterfalls. The flowers oh are, are everywhere. It's um, interesting because it's right along a farmer's field. And then there's this, you know, this beautiful valley. It's just steep, steep in and and trees um, growing really green. Oh, uh, well, so it's pretty lush. Very, very much so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. The, there must be a lot of energy that you could scent going into the into the faults. Absolutely, it's really strange because you know you see a farmer's field and then then this fault is here yeah. and and you you don't really see it until you're in it. It's mm. very cool. And I would say that UFOs and like spiritualists are, are attracted to different energies, and so no no doubt when you're going into carp, you sense something, and then when you hit the geological fault, you sense something else. Oh, for sure. Amazing. Yeah. Now, Carp has hills, and the Carp Hills are a perfect place for UFOs to play peekaboo. Carp always had ways to attract visitors. Nowadays, it's with the Carp Fair, but back in the day, Carp was attractive post Salem witch trials where local Canadian underground occult societies, now lost to time, helped, aided, and abetted witches in New England to escape the gallows and pyres of the infamous and unjust Salem witch trials. So that's a bit of carp history that doesn't really get brought to the forefront is that they were almost like an underground railroad for the uh, the witches who were being persecuted in New England. And they came up here and they started covens up here. That's really interesting, Mom, because I've never, ever heard that. Yeah, like, the whole Ottawa Valley, really. Yeah. The whole Ottawa Valley. So as I mentioned before, um, covens sprung up all over the Ottawa Valley, including carp. These covens performed rituals and left powerful symbols or sigils all over the valley. These calling cards left behind had serious spiritual significance of attraction. Ufologists all agree that symbols, powerful symbols, are a language of their own and really are the universal language of the cosmos. Perhaps CARP is a hotbed of UFO action due to the long lost, unseen and forgotten symbols left behind by freed witches. Margie, what can you tell me about the Carp Airport? Yes, people in the crypt, the little town of Carp, population 2,500, has an airport, and records show hundreds of eyewitnesses' reports of strange lights in the sky and multiple UFO sightings. Do you see the Carp Airport often when you're coming going home? Absolutely. I drive by it all the time. Okay. And and you do see traffic in and out. And even though I live outside of Carp in yeah. Corkery, um, you see the air traffic kind of, you, you see it. Um, flowing into the airport for sure. Okay. Um, we get a lot of flyovers. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I've been to Carp many times, but I'll be honest, I've never been to the airport. I have. I went for a helicopter ride from no, there. Grade you. five. And yes. we'll be talking about helicopters yeah. later. Yeah. That's amazing. But during my research, I was really flabbergasted by what I found out about the airport. Um, so, one of the things that really caught my mind was this, um, uh, this, this occurrence that I discovered during my research, and it, it came across as a UFO sighting that was called Aftermath. Okay. So it's an odd story with redacted names on the documents I have. So the name is redacted, and it all started on Carp Road. Okay. So it was December 1st, 1993, at 7.45 7 p.m. A cool, crisp night with the moonlight shining off the snow. A mother and her son were returning home when they both saw a very bright light around a mile ahead. They were close to the Carp Airport, but this light was different. The light moved quickly and followed them 
to a point where they drove past their own home on a dead-end road. Do you have any ideas of dead-end roads in, in CARP? Are there lots of dead-end roads in CARP? There, there is. Um, okay. There's a lot of gravel turnarounds. So it could be anywhere, really? It could be anywhere, okay. yeah. So the intense light overhead flew quickly above them. Described as a stadium light, the intense light moved to the left and disappeared behind the trees. The mother thought that, and I quote, if it was a helicopter, it just landed on the 417, unquote. As they quickly turned, around, turned the car around uh, to scuttle home unseen, the light, or possibly a second light, was blocking their path a couple of hundred yards away. Quote, I thought we were stuck, caught between a dead end and a bright oval light. I grew frightened. All I could think of was I have to protect my child. I have to get him out of here. Where I was at the end of the road was heavily wooded. I slowly drove forward, determined to get home. I flashed my high beams in an effort to repel it, but at that point, the light lowered itself to street level and started coming right at us, right down the middle of the road. I sped up and stomped on the gas and quickly turned up our long driveway. The light made the turn with us. The light was now 20 yards away, about 40 feet off the ground. It hung over a couple of neighboring houses and was huge and oval-shaped and a super bright light, half the size of a house. The silence, it was deafening. As I piled into my open garage, I took my son and ran into my house using the garage entrance, unquote. Harrowing, eh, Margie? Like, yes. Yep. When I read that, I was like, oh my God. So this lady and her son really gave a sense of fear of this UFO or possible two UFOs chasing them from close to the, uh, to the CARP airport. <laughs> Afterwards, the witness endured night after night of nightmares, lights chasing her, things like that. Her phone rang off the hook with calls from people reporting similar instances, as well as witnesses that fateful night. Some were crank calls, which really upset her. The local MUFON branch, the MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, it's an international organization. <laughs> so the local MUFON branch intervened and interviewed the witness and deemed the incident as credible. So now with international backing, the witness did an interview for CBC and Fox News, both of whom flew reporters in to interview the witness. Now with some notoriety, people started calling her and coming to her door to speak of their own CARP UFO encounters. So it seems like there's a lot of UFO encounters in CARP and a lot of witnesses. I, I would say, yes, okay. definitely. Despite having a lasting and psychological effect on her, the witness now started to take solace in knowing she was not the only person in CARP who has seen a UFO. She even started to take part in a self-help UFO sighting group put on by Bell Canada. I thought it was very forward thinking of Bell Canada to do such a thing. Apparently, a lot of their rural workforce, alone in the forest, digging and installing cable, climbing towers, working all hours of the day and night in the wilderness, <laughs> have led to a lot of crew workers witnessing UFOs and strange lights in and around CARP. The witness's life never normalized. People stop her all the time, but hey, life goes on. The witness worked as a forensic accountant investigator. And one day at a Chamber of Commerce meeting in CARP, on the wall of the boardroom was an aerial map of the CARP airport. The witness noticed that the CARP airport is distinct and that it forms an evident beautiful diamond shape. Now, as I mentioned before, 
The only way to beckon or communicate with otherworldly entities is spiritually, and being spiritually one with the cosmos is scientifically mathematic. What a powerful beacon those UFOs would see. The diamond five-pointed shape that Carp Airport is, a spiritually and mathematical use of five points, air, spirit, water, earth, and fire. The five elements of who we are as a civilization. It is well known in spiritualist circles that the number five denotes prosperity, knowledge, and mathematic understanding. It is also the angel number, meaning that your spirit guides, they have a message for you. Could this be Carp's way of invoking UFOs? Furthermore, the number five is controlled by the planet Mercury. Could those UFOs be coming from Mercury? Only the diamond knows. In the course of history, there are only two symbols with five points that have been used for invocation, diamonds and pentagrams, both five-pointed, both powerful, both holding deep meanings. Diamonds are a symbol of purity, unity, and love. They absorb and amplify energy, both positive and negative. The pentagram is known as a symbol of protection, representative of harmony, balance, knowledge, and guidance from the universe. So it all comes around to being spiritually connected and making, making welcome these UFOs coming into CARP. And what is welcoming to CARP is possibly this diamond-shaped, five-pointed, pentagramic airport. Interesting. Yeah. I've never, ever heard that either, Mo. Yeah, no, it, it blew my mind when I read about the, um, the importance of the mathematical angles and the mathematical instances that could be, could be found all around the world, not knowing that CARP has all these specific angles and these spe specific mathematic invitations that could be inviting these UFOs down to visit. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe that's what the UFOs are, are seeing as they descend on CARP. Maybe if we expand out further for a larger aerial view of the CARP airport, we may be able to notice that naturally the surrounding area combined with CARP airport makes what's called a dodecahedron, which is a diamond inside a pentagram. Wow. Okay, that's a lot to take in, but it brings us back full circle to the infamous Carp Guardian case. I did a full episode on the Guardian case back in season one. Please check it out should you be unfamiliar. But to quickly summarize, on November 4th, 1989, Carp resident Diane Labanek, sounds familiar, that name, Diane Labanek? Yes. Okay. Saw a brightly lit UFO in a field near her home by Mannion Corners on the outskirts of Carp. Soon thereafter, a video was sent to local and international UFO investigators by somebody named Guardian. The video had a purposely stamped fingerprint. It was accompanied by several photos and top secret documents from the Canadian federal government. This put CARP on the international news and even an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. The case remains a mystery to this day. Who was Guardian? Now, Margie, do you remember this Guardian case back in, in uh, 1989? I do. I was 19. Okay. Yeah. So what was the, was there a lot of finger pointing in CARP? Because I know that a lot of people in CARP, well, everybody in CARP knows one another. Right. Was there a lot of finger pointing? Well, I don't know if it was finger pointing. There was a lot of definitely chatter about it and um, people wondering what, what happened and, you know, whether it was real or not and, yeah. and definitely... Um, talk and and probably a lot of um opinions for sure definite opinions i would imagine yeah no margie first of all are you guardian <laughs> no <laughs> okay <laughs> no i wish i was okay 
Now, I understand that you have some information pertaining to who Guardian allegedly is. Now, during my research, the name that came up a lot was, was a gentleman by the name of Bobby Charlebois. Now, do you, are you familiar with Bobby Charlebois? I am. He was, um, so I, I live in Corkery. I lived there since I was four. Right. And Bobby was a, a very well-known member of our community. Okay. I like yes. the well-known member of the community. Yeah. Now, what made him such a well-known member of the community? Describe him. What was he like? He was um, a community-driven person who did all kinds of work for our church. Okay. Um, in Corkery. So you saw him cutting the grass, you saw him um, taking care of the um, grounds and the uh, cemetery and okay. that kind of thing. Like so he, he was like, he the... was always out working around um, Corkery and the church. And... So he was very visible. Yes. Everybody knew him. Yes. And um, seems like he was a nice guy. Absolutely. You you go by, he had his little, I, I want to call it a jalopy. Okay. Yeah, this little blue car. And he would smile and wave and um, to everybody who passed by. For so this, sure. this guy seems like the real, like the unofficial mayor of Carp. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that. He was more Corkery, to be okay. honest. Yeah. Okay. Corkery was the, the area that he, he was in. Was he a bit of an eccentric? I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know him well, yeah. um, but certainly he he was a different bird. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I do understand that unfortunately he passed away. Um, so rest in peace, Bobby Charlebois. Um, but before he passed away, there was a lot of talk about a lot of chatter about him being guardian since 1989, to a point where a UFO researcher named Ray Oscheck came up. Um, to investigate the, um, the the Guardian case, and he was he spent almost a year up here um, investigating this case and, and getting very familiar with Bobby Charlebois and Diane Labanek and other residents of Carp, to a point where that after Bobby passed away, it came out that this Ray Oscheck, he was actually tapped by the CIA to come up here and investigate the Guardian case, wow. and more specifically. He was tapped to get Bobby Charlebois' fingerprints. Oh. Because on the videotape that was sent out, there was, a, as I mentioned before, there was a purpose, purposely stamped fingerprint on the VHS tape. Okay. okay. But they couldn't make any connection of who it was. But as eccentric as Bobby was, I think he was also highly intelligent because Ray Oscheck, he conspired with Diane Levinek to invite Bobby over to have a drink and maybe something to eat and talk about the Guardian case. But guess what? For, I, I think Bobby was either tipped off or he had, a, he had an inkling that something was up. And he shows up to Diane's house wearing gloves. Oh. And he didn't take them off. And he, this is all in Ray Oscheck papers that I found during my investigation. And he wouldn't take his gloves off and he drank his, whatever he was drinking, his glass with gloves on, knife and fork with gloves on. He refused to take them off. And it really frustrated Ray Oscheck because this is something very important to him. It, you know, the CIA tapped him to get this guy's uh, fingerprints easy enough, but he couldn't do it. Now, when Bobby passed away, may he rest in peace, it was around, what, two years ago? At least. Okay. Yeah. And it was very odd. Well, maybe it wasn't odd at how he died, but it was very unfamiliar in how he died because, as you said, he was the gravekeeper. He was the groundskeeper. He did a lot of community work, a lot of handyman work. He painted. He painted. Yeah. And so as a painter in general, you're climbing a ladder daily, all, daily, all yeah. the time. And no doubt he was climbing ladders 
for the past 30 years. Exactly. But he passed away because he mysteriously fell off a ladder, of which he's very familiar in how to use. I'm not pointing any fingers or making any accusations, but it's just odd yep, but that a guy so adept at climbing a ladder would pass away on a ladder. Yeah, it's not something you would think would happen. No, I wouldn't think so. Now, I'm, I'm going to drop another name on you for a possible second candidate. Susan Gill. I'm not familiar with that name. Maybe her grandson, Derek Gill? No. Okay. So, peep this. Car President Susan Gill worked as a forensic accountant for the federal government. And again, if you think about it, this is the second forensic accountant that we're talking about. Yeah. The aftermath case, that lady was a forensic accountant. The Susan Gill, also a forensic accountant. I'm not saying they're the same person, but... Connected, maybe? Connected. Anyway. So as a forensic accountant, that type of job gets you a special government clearance, as well as an analytical mind. She is uh, familiar with all of the players in the Guardian case, and her involvement is nothing short of interesting. It's her grandson, Derek Gill, who is relaying all this important information, as it was he who she confided in. It's a special relationship between grandmother and grandson. They would discuss the guardian case, and Derek would always leave the conversation thinking his grandmother knew or experienced more than she let on. Derek said his grandmother would always end their conversation by saying, and I quote, you'll find out one day. And that day came in 2018 when Susan Gill passed away. In her belongings was an envelope sealed with the statement, do not open unless something happened to me. Inside that envelope, was the familiar documents pertaining to Guardian. But what proved to be more interesting was Susan Gill's testimonial. The testimonial detailed how Susan Gill was watching TV on August 18, 1991. She remembers her 9 p.m. show starting, does not remember what happened during that show, but remembers her 10 p.m. show starting. She recalls that during this phantom time, seeing a bright light shining a ways down the road. She could see it through her window. She then recalls herself walking down the road to the Labanek property and entering the ship. Next thing she remembers is the start of her 10 p.m. show. UFO abductions always have an occurrence of lost or phantom time. The Guardian case has two occurrences. Derek, the grandson, he was very perplexed upon reading the documents. His grandmother would talk to him cryptically when the Guardian case aired on Unsolved Mysteries. In an interview with CBC back in 2021, the CBC showed Derek an interview clip for the American show called Encounters, not shown in Canada, which interviews a mysterious CARP resident about the Guardian case. This woman is interviewed in the shadows, unable to see her face nor identify who she is. She goes into detail about being abducted, a familiar story for Derek, who confirms that the shadow being interviewed is his grandmother, Susan Gill. He was shocked, as he has not seen this video before, and identifies his grandmother by her voice and hand mannerisms. Derek is left flabbergasted. Was his grandmother guardian? Did she videotape the UFO? Was she really abducted? A lot of unanswered questions, but a lot of possibilities. So it's, it's really, oh, we have two prime candidates. Perhaps they're working in tandem. Perhaps Susan Gill knew, well, I would assume that Susan Gill knew Bobby Charlebois, but um, maybe working in tandem, they were both tapped by 
a UFO encounter or both conspired to formulate this. Who knows? Yep. But it's still a very odd and very mysterious occurrence that happened in CARP. The CBC documentary UFO Town focuses on CARP as being Canada's UFO Town. It interviews plenty of CARP residents who all share the UFO sightings that came in mysteriously and dangerously during the early 90s and until now. It's a fascinating documentary, well done by CBC. One person CBC failed to interview was you, Margie. Yep. Care to share what you saw once upon a time in CARP? I will. And it's it's funny that you say in the 90s because this is when it happened. And the hot spot. Yep. And I, I was driving with, with my friend late at night mm -hmm. um, and we had a light come down in front of us. Wow. And we stopped and we were like, it was very bright. Like, was it like like a like a bulbous light? Would you call it like a stadium light? These people have described the lights out in cart like a stadium light. It was blinding. It was like really like okay. bright, like kind of knocked you back. Yeah. It was hard to look at. And we kind of said, you know, what the heck is this? And it went away. And we, how long were you walking? Were you looking at it? I'd say like a minute. Like we were we had a to, minute. That's we, a had long to, time. we had to stop on the road. We had to stop the car. Do you know what road you're on? Was it like Manion Corners or Corky Road? No, or? it was Dunrobin Road. Dunrobin Road, okay. Yes. And we both kind of looked at each other after and thought, okay, that was a helicopter. But there was no noise. Yeah, so hel we helicopters just, make a lot yeah. of noise. So we just kind of left it at that. And, and we've talked about it a couple of times over the years, but yeah. we just never told anybody because, you know, it's one of those things where you don't want to really say it because people may or may not believe you. So. And it's true. And especially in a small town like Carp, you know, they might be like, oh, there's crazy Margie, you know, like <laughs> they probably are anyway, <laughs> <laughs> even more so. Yeah. But yeah, because a lot of people wish I wish I wish a lot of people would come out more in in, in explaining what they saw, what they, what happened to them. Well, because you invited me here, I started chatting with my son about it. And okay. he actually relayed a story very similar to my story. Oh, let's hear it. A few years ago, he was coming down Corkery Road. Another famous road. Yes. And it also had a friend with him. So there was a witness. Okay. And a triangle. Get out. Came down. Like It was a very bright light. It was a triangle. And it went back and forth in front of the car. So it came down went and hovered, and, essentially. Yes. And his, his friend yelled, stop. And it, it did this back and forth. And then it was gone. And again, very bright and no noise. Oh my so gosh. I'm I getting goosebumps. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because I was chatting about it. Um, my son had this story as well. He yeah. never told me because it's the same thing. Again, they, yeah. they just kind of kept it between themselves. How long themselves. ago did this happen to him? Um, probably three or four years ago. Oh my Because he's young. So mm -hmm. he, he would have been, you know, in his early 20s driving with his buddy home late at night again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that's so crazy that like he's holding on to this for three or four years, you know? Yeah. I'll be honest. I've never seen anything like that. I would love to. And if, if I ever do, I'd be screaming up from the, from the carp hills that I've seen, I've seen a UFO or something. So I also um, mentioned it to one of my husband's friends yeah. yesterday. Okay. And he was telling me that um, somebody on the Dwyer Hill road, he did another famous road. Yes. He didn't want to give names or anything because he is not his sure. story to share. Fair enough. Um, but apparently in the past couple of years, he's seen globes in his backyard wow. and, and taken footage <gasps> of it and been visited by government officials. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. 
and maybe that'll be something that you can explore later, Mo. I'd love to. Um, if if this gentleman yeah, if he's if he to wants to talk about it, about it or show show me yeah. the videos or pictures, whatever he has, yeah. I'm game. I'm down. Yeah, I don't know that it's been shared with anybody. Um, this person lives close to this other person, and it's an old homestead that it's happening at that they bought. So it had been in a family like for generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then the property was recently bought by this new person who's now seeing. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Described as globes, globes. of light. And yeah. yeah, the German research as well, the, like energy balls, globes of light, um, actual uh, aircraft, even triangular aircraft, yeah. they come up as the most seen. That's fascinating. Now, German research, when people around the world see UFOs or see odd occurrences, what comes next are helicopters. Okay. Now we're here in Barhaven, which is in the West and Carp is even further West. And just on a typical day, I would say I normally see probably around three helicopters a day. Now I know you're thinking to yourself, well, helicopters aren't very uncommon. Helicopters happen all the time, but do they really? I know where I live, they do. Yeah. Because I ask people like, oh yeah, helicopters are a daily occurrence, but then they think about it, ask them, when was the last time you saw a helicopter? And they're like, Oh, can't really think of one. But out here in the West, Barhaven, Canada, um, Carp, um, Corkery, I would say that on average, it's like four times a day. This morning, I've already seen two. I hear them. That's the thing. Yes. You may not see them, but you hear them because there's a lot of low flying helicopters out here. And I find they're flying too low. Buzzing houses on all forms of helicopters, Apaches, Chinooks, Hueys. Black ones, white ones, orange ones. Um, it's just very odd that these helicopters are out and about, and especially in a UFO hotbed, which is Ottawa West, CARP. Right. Okay. Now, my research says that a, a lot of the helicopters that we are seeing are American her, uh, helicopters. I know there's a Canadian Forces base, but the Pembroke is the closest one, would you say? or? Petawawa or? There is one in Petawawa, but there's also um, a base in like uh, just off Highway 7. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of that one. Um, and I always thought that all these American helicopters coming over, they may need permission to come over, but it seems like it seems like they don't need permission to come over. And what are they doing over here? What are the what are, what are, what are the Canadian helicopters doing over here? Why they're always flying around, uh, buzzing around, and flying so low at all hours. And then I'll hear them at 1 in the morning. I'll hear them during the day. You see them during the day. You see them at nighttime. It's just very odd. And I find it very weird. And I like to know more about it. Now, one odd occurrence happened to the, the Curly family of Carp. Are you familiar with the Curleys? Yes. Kirk and Catherine Curley? Yes. OK. Yeah. So one day. Now they have a large property. One day, a black helicopter lands in their backyard and four people in black jumpsuits jump out and race into the bushes. They're in there around five minutes. They come out five minutes later, run back into the helicopter and they take off, not even acknowledging the curlies. Wow. Very weird. Very strange. What's even more weird is that the previous day, Catherine Curley, she was home alone and she remembers seeing a bright light pouring in to her home. Next thing she remembers is being in the backyard looking up. 
no idea or recollection of going outside nor of what she saw. One minute in the house, bright light, next minute outside of the house. And no memory of getting there. No memory of getting there. That's very odd. Very odd. A lot of my research has me concluding that ever since the Guardian case, that permission was granted by the Canadian government to allow American choppers loaded with intellectuals and government officials who can assist with the ongoing CARP UFO situation. That is why all varieties of helicopters are flying all over Ottawa's West End. The following quotation speaks volumes. Margie, if you may. Canadian and American security agencies are engaged in a conspiracy of silence to withhold from the world the alien vessel seized in the swamps of Corkery Road Carp in 1989. UFO sightings in Ontario region had intensified in the 1980s, specifically around nuclear power generating stations. On November 4th, 1989, at 8, 20 hours, <laughs> um, Canadian Defence Department radars picked up a globe-shaped object traveling at a phenomenal speed over Carp, Ontario. The UFO abruptly stopped and dropped like a stone. Canadian and American security agencies were immediately notified of the landing. Monitoring satellites traced the movements of the aliens to a triangular area. See the aerial map off Old Almont and Corkery Roads. The ship had landed in deep swamp near Corkery Road. Two AH-64 Apaches and a UH-60 Blackhawk headed for the area the following night. The helicopters carried full weapon loads, full carried full weapon loads. Wow, mm -hmm. I was there then and I didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> they were a part of a covert American unit that specialized in, in the recovery of alien craft. Flying low over Ontario pine trees, the Apache attack choppers soon spotted a glowing blue 20 meter in diameter sphere. As targeting lasers locked on, both gunships unleashed their full weapon loads of eight missiles each. All 16 were exploded in a, in a proximity bursts 10 meters downwind from the ship. Wow. Yeah. Where'd you get this? You know, I can't divulge my, <laughs> my sources, but it hits on all points. First of all, it starts with the helicopters. Those are not Canadian helicopters. Okay. The Canadian government army has no such helicopters. Yes. Okay. Second of all, globe shaped, bright lights, diamond shaped, odd flight patterns. It has everything covered. All right in my backyard. All right in the backyard. In my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, granted, there is a lot of territory around CARP, but there's a lot going on. You know, every country and every point in the world has odd occurrences like this. But this one is so close to home and it's phantom. Nobody knows it. Wow. I have not seen this before. Yeah, There's, a lot of people, a lot of people yes. have this. It, and I didn't have my glasses, so that's why <laughs> no, I was reading it. You did, you did, you yeah. did awesome. You did awesome. <laughs> but it, and it really is surprising what you could 
you just have to ask for information. With the Freedom of, of uh, Information Act, you just ask, and they have to they have to divulge stuff to you. But there are certain things they won't divulge. Carp is a small town, but its UFO reach spreads all over Western Ottawa. Apparently, the Garden UFO and subsequent UFOs were all sent to a Canada facility decked out with advanced research facilities. The only facility that fits the description is Shirley's Bay. Located 15 minutes from downtown Ottawa in a secure facility in Ottawa's West End, on your way to Carp, you'll see a guarded gate, weird dishes, and large red and white antenna. The, sound, the sign out front in the infamous typical government font lists the on-site department as, check this out, Communication Research Center Canada, Certification and Engineering Bureau, Donald Florida Laboratory, Defense Research and Development Canada, Canadian Joint Electronic Warfare Center, and Canadian Joint Warfare Center. This does not sound like a Canadian-led governmental department. This is, dev uh, according to me, the Crypt Keeper, the Crypt Keeper, this is a joint effort with somebody or some, some other country, <coughs> the States. <laughs> Makes you think. Makes you think. Described as a Canadian military and civilian telecommunication research campus, many people have witnessed black helicopters, weird lights, and other oddities over the campus. As mentioned, 3701 Carling Avenue houses a lot of special operating agencies that are funneled through Department of National Defense. All of these mentioned agencies work in tandem in developing technologies for, again, some odd names, space systems and technology, cyber operations, communications and signals warfare, ISR applications, radar sensing exploitation, radar electronic warfare, radiological nuclear defense, and navigation warfare. What the hell? These department, we know nothing of. The names itself, they sent shivers up my spine because it's warfare, telecommunications, space systems and technology all happening right in our backyards. I go by there all the time. Oh, it's it's crazy. Yes. Next time, like, look at the signs and look at the departments there, and you'd be like, this is like a, like a duck out of water. It's very unnatural, I would say. Inclusive of all the sub-departments, there has been a lot of technological innovations that have come out of Shirley's Bay, including a before-its-time space tech craft powered on microwaves called SHARP, acronym S-H-A-R-P. This skinny plane with the large circular receptor was powered only by transmitted microwave beams from the ground. The files of the Communication Research Center say, and I quote, the SHARP concept envisages the use of pilotless airplanes as platforms for relaying telecommunication signals, providing surveillance and monitoring services, unquote. This was super futuristic, but soon after successfully being launched in 1987, the project was mysteriously scrapped. So I, I beg the question, now, what is happening at Shirley's Bay? And this whole sharp and this weird flying airplane with a circular disc on top of it makes you think of, of two friends um, who I'll remain nameless, but it must have been around 1997, so 10 years later from this, from this sharp plane. And they were at Mooney's Bay late at night uh, in their car, 
and they kind of parked in a private area by the beach. They were stargazing. Okay. <laughs> and so they're in the car. Then all of a sudden, very silently, they looked out the window and there was something c- coming d- down from the sky, a circular shape with these red light, red rotating lights on it. And it landed on the water and then skimmed across the water towards them. It, and it was like five feet from the car. So they're looking at this thing move very weirdly and come up to them and rise up on top of the beach. And as they're watching this thing, the lights remain, and it's around the size of a dinner table, but circular. The lights are rotating, and they're watching this thing. Probably around two minutes, they said they were watching, and then it just reversed on itself, skimmed back across the water, and shot up straight into the sky, through the clouds, and, and disappeared. Disappeared. And disappeared. Wow. So I beg the question, was what my friends witnessed that uh, that night in, in Mooney's Bay, and now Mo- Mooney's Bay is like one bay over from Shirley's Bay. It's very close. Was that a a sharp plane or was it a UFO? You know, the statistics show that they, they scrapped sharp in 1987, but this interrupted romantic tryst was 1997. So secrets abound, who knows? Back in the 1950s, a mysterious large explosion rocked the west end of Ottawa and Carp. One of the suspects was Shirley's Bay. The headline in the paper said, Baffling Blast Shakes Capital. The Defense Research Board at Shirley's Bay denied any knowledge of an explosion and that the large blast was deemed a mystery, just swept away under the proverbial rug. Very mysterious. Another mystery at Shirley's Bay involves the CIA-backed Project Magnet, a special investigation unit to study UFOs for the Canadian Department of Transport, the DOT, back in December 1950. Led by a Wilbur B. Smith, Project Magnet, along with the CIA, banded together to research UFOs, mainly CARP sightings, to determine the existence and to verify if UFOs hold the key to new sources of power using the Earth's magnetic field as a source of propulsion. By 1952, UFO detection equipment was installed, and by October of 1952, it became the world's first UFO research facility here in Ottawa wow. for the world. Project Magnet collected countless UFO activities. They were the world leaders in UFO research and consulted other country government agencies as such. Then, on August 8, 1954, the Project Magnet gravimeter went wild with the biggest reading yet of an unusual disturbance. By their calculation, A huge, powerful, unidentified flying object was close and directly above the Project Magnet Outcrop Bureau. Smith ran outside, but was too late to see the entire object, only a dot in the sky that moved rapidly through the clouds. Armed with the registered deflection on the gravimeter chart and his slight visuals, Wilbur Smith arranged for a press conference. Two days later, Project Magnet and the UFO Research Facility were abruptly shut down. Why did that happen, Mo? I think we all know why that happened. Wilbur Smith saw something that he wasn't supposed to see. Many speculate that the findings and strange occurrences at Shirley's Bay prompted the project to go underground, with all findings entering top secret status. Smith was allowed to remain, but all government funding pertaining to his UFO research was stopped. Without government grants or subsidies, Smith, convinced of the UFO presence, continued his research funded by other sources. 
possibly the CIA. Smith continued to trailblaze and develop what he claimed was a breakthrough anti-gravity device. Did Wilbur Smith back engineer his own terrestrial UFO? During a 1959 presentation, Smith stated, we have conducted experiments that show that it is possible to create artificial gravity, not centrifugal force, and to alter the gravitational field of the Earth. This we have done. It is a fact. The next step is to learn the rules and do the engineering necessary to correct the principle in workable hardware." Unquote. What Smith said in 1959 is the going principle for UFOs today that was popularized by the infamous Bob Lazar at Groom Lake, aka Area 51, in 1989. But it all started here in Ottawa by Wilbur Smith in 1959, 30 years prior. By 1962, Smith had scheduled to release more findings, more futuristic, mind-blowing details, but Smith died unexpectedly, perhaps mysteriously silenced before releasing any further information in 1962. It is unknown what happened to his study material and extensive research. Perhaps it's locked away, deep inside the bowels of Canada's own Area 51, Shirley's Bay. The cryptic vein that goes through CARP runs deep, from its creepy townsfolk, present company excluded, <laughs> to the odd aerial and UFO events that stretch all the way to mysterious Shirley's Bay. The question remains, what the hell is going on in CARP? I want to thank CARP's very own whistleblower, Margie, for being here and contributing knowledge to the CARP mystery. Research thanks to Vicky Cameron, Mark Leslie, and Andrew King. Big thanks to my paranormal producer, Wolfman Jackson, and our show sponsors. That's right, Jay from the Suburbs has a second sponsor, Hat Rack Designs. Check them out on Facebook. Hat Rack Designs, quality printing and innovative design. Hat tracks, where it's at. And of course, A1 Hairstyles, best cuts in town, the dynamic duo of Andrew and Amy. Why be A squared when you could be A1? Margie, as a gift, I'd like to give you an official Straight from the Suburbs t-shirt. Oh, thank you. You have been kept. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Mo. Oh, it's been a blast. And I think we, we turned over a lot of rocks today. We did. Yeah. More to come, folks. I am the Crypt Keeper signing off. Till next time, stay suburban, stay mystified.